0: Funding disappeared. Mm-hmm. Then we funded it again. We gave it another chance, and that disappeared. The first one disappeared because of balance sheet issues, and the other one disappeared, and the next one disappeared because the mar- the, the market didn't grow during that year. Yeah. So we bet it all in one year, one year and a half, and at the end, nobody was willing to put up my money to save the company. And that, that teaches you a lesson. You know, it's sometimes it's better to cut your losses and go. And, and then I thought that that was the end for me, that I wasn't gonna do it anymore. I wasn't gonna be in business anymore, that I had lost my touch. And then the Goico Grill project came, came up and, and gave me the chance to, to look at a company that was different than any other company had ever, I had ever looked at. It was a very successful small company. Every restaurant out of the six or seven that they had was making money. What the founder didn't have is a way of growing that quicker than a couple stores a year because it was funding growth strictly out of profits generated by the stores already open.
1: So what I brought to that group. Which is super attractive to you when you see that, right? Yeah. I can't imagine another podcast episode I'll ever do being more special than this one. Because in one way, this is a really, really universal story about being sure about something almost overconfident, going in, losing hard, and then a rebirth and a resurrection and a big success. And on another part, this is a conversation with my dad, who my entire life has been my hero. And has had a very, very long career with many successes. Multiple hundred million dollar exits from companies. And this is him telling the part about his story where he had his biggest failure. So I hope you enjoy this as much as me. I plan to do a multiple part series diving deeper into my dad's career that I hope to make into a book, and I'm gonna publish it through this podcast so you'll hear about all the different phases of his really, really interesting life. But for now, we're gonna start with the failure. And you're gonna start by listening to my best friend's band from Miami, Florida, the Stiltsville, with Yogi. Take it away, fellas. One, a two,
2: one, a two, one, two, three, go! Shanghone to be late. Health your lies, I'm a center of my day. Oh yo, G well, I wanna be king. I wanna feel like a guide and praise like a thing.
1: How you doing Baba? How you doing, Paolo? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. How you feeling this morning? I feel a little bit better. A little better? <laughs> I had a lot of fun playing
0: dominoes last night with you guys and uh, it was a good woke up a little bit with a cold. But that, other than that, I'm fine.
1: Okay. feel good. Sounds good. So where are we? Well, you tell me. What are you going to talk about? Where are we? Where are we right now? We're at we're at Bird's Lodge. Absolutely. Bird's Lodge is kind of like a dream come true.
0: Uh, it's a house in Lake Toxaway, North Carolina which for many, many years, I have been wanting to have, I've been wanting to own. It just never happened. We vacationed here many years, had a lot of fun, came here with the whole family, and then for the last six years, we didn't come at the beginning because it was because of a family tragedy. As you know,
2: our, your brother, my son, Bert, passed away
0: and then I spent two and a half years, more than two years than two and a half uh, in a project in Spain assisting our uh, nephew Andoni to build his restaurant chain and sell it very profitably. So after that was done and it was a huge success, I decided that if it was ever a time that I would come back to like tux away and see if I can realize the dream that I had for many
1: years it was now this is like the uh this is like the gift to yourself it is exactly that this is this to me is a a living document of who you are and how we've gotten here right so we, we kind of broke we broke up your your story to a certain extent like a month or two ago, right? In a couple of different phases. And we can either reverse back from here, right? Like I, I think that, I mean, I think the Goiko deal, without the Goiko deal, this house probably doesn't happen. I agree. Right? Well, especially since the Goico deal came
0: right after... My first and only failure, true failure in business Yeah. Uh, in my professional career, which started when I was 23 years old, uh, back in Venezuela, uh, I've always had some measure of success. In the worst of cases, we've broken even. And that's something that many businessmen can say, especially one like me, who's first half of his professional career was spent in the employment of somebody else, being a corporation or being a family. And then the second part of my career was actually working for myself with partners, being an entrepreneur, and uh, investing and developing businesses that I thought had potential and that were compatible with my knowledge and my management style. But the last one before Go Grill was a total failure. And if you ask me, why did I get into to I'm going to start, the with, day a day I'm I'm gonna start with a failure. I'm going to start with a failure, because it. I think it's important. I love it. And I got into Come Logic because I thought that I had developed a new way of taking distribution of technology into Latin America and that Comlogic offered me the perfect opportunity to do this while not participating in any way in the very competed and, and clogged up PC server software market. So this this was a company that actually dealt in new technologies uh, such as devices and software that accelerated the use of the internet both for the end user and for the operators, the big operators that uh, that that um, carried
1: content in, so when, in when the you, internet. when you say you developed a new way, is it because this was a different, because these devices were accelerators and not actual software no, on no, the no, basis? No. Or you had a new distribution no, way? That it's it's a methodology. Tell me. In
0: other words, distribution in technology and in hardware and software traditionally was you put your product on the shelf mm-hmm. and then you developed a network of sub-distributors and you would ask them to go out and create a market. What I had done at Taylor Technologies, my previous uh, business that we sold very successfully after I worked at it for more than 16 years was what is called value-added distribution, which is that the wholesaler, if you want to call it that way, Mm -hmm. would actually meet his Client, which is the sub distributor, halfway in terms of creating marketing schemes, training, and going to the end user to open the door for the uh, for the sub distributors' uh, personnel to actually make the sales, and we found ways of connecting. The hardware, the software, and the training into packages that were very attractive to the market. That, in a world of servers, software, and uh, uh, let's call it voice equipment mm-hmm. and software, was 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 actually very very successful uh, in, in in during my tenure as owner and president of Terra Technologies.
1: Cuz cuz the market before was one person selling you the voice, one person selling you the software, one person selling you the hardware. Well, it was even it was even better than that. It was even I guess it was more primitive
0: than that. Mm-hmm. There was one network for voice and one network for data. Okay. So in the early 2000s the phenomenon of conversions came to being whereby Voice and data converged on one network, and it required a certain set of software and hardware devices to actually make this happen mm-hmm. so that voice and data could efficiently be run by one network. But that, that, that meant kind of like a revolution because then instead of having two buyers, you would have one buyer. I mean, the IT manager, there was no more than an IT manager and the communications manager. It converged into one job. And your end user would be that one. Okay. So our network of dealers and sub distributors had to be trained and converted to use that word again to this new way of selling, so that they could sell both
1: products, data and voice. And this was the undertaking that you would do with Comlogic, or this is what you? No, this is what powered? I did with Taler. Okay. This is what I did with Tallard, because we represented
0: very prestigious brands such as IBM. Unit Packard. I remember. Okay. AT and which then began, it became Lucent, which then became a on the, Avai on the corporate side, and we were able to bring all that network together and actually create a very successful distribution company. Okay. That at the end, when when we sold it to a Brazilian company, that. Was a subsidiary of the very large Itaú Bank in in, in Brazil. We were about 150 to 175 million dollars. They had a network, and instead of absorbing us, we absorbed them. In other words, they bought us out. And I spent the next two years putting together their 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 dealer network with our dealer network, their countries with our countries, and we created the largest. Value-added technology distributor in Latin America. Uh-huh. It was that was the case, so that when in two thousand and nine, after I had after we had sold to Itau, uh-huh. uh, the second largest technology distributor in the United States was looking for a company to buy in Latin America, and they their requirements that they had to have over $200 million in sales. It had to be in every country. They looked around and they had only one candidate, which is ourselves. So I ended up selling the company again at that time to Avnet. Uh And I ended up staying maybe six or seven more months till in 2011, I finally thought that I had retired. And that's when I met Mr. Victoria, my partner in Comlogic who had had this Little distribution company with very with a very interesting product line. Um, uh, like I said, it was software and hardware in the voice area exclusively. That would and 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 also call center, call center software and call and and everything that had to do with with getting enterprises efficiently connected to the internet and operators officially connected to the networks out there so i thought that this was to me a very easy thing to do my problem was that i didn't do my due diligence correctly and the product line wasn't the problem although we had no anchor line it was, there was no ibm No, anchor line, you mean like a flagship
1: brand? A flagship,
0: yeah. That you can really leverage. When you go to to a mall today, and malls may be dying today, but they'll die quicker if they don't have some sort of an anchor where people go and create the traffic. I got you. So I didn't, we didn't have it in in Colonia, didn't have an anchor brand, but it had a bunch of, let's say, secondary high technology lines mm-hmm. that could be weaved into solutions so we created so our our thing my when i came in and i brought people in that that some of them had worked with me at tallard we tried to we tried to create as opposed to selling products software hardware we created a call center solution Uh And we would sell everything that was involved in installing a very efficient call center that would be run through the internet. That would be IP IP based. Mm -hmm. And then another would be video conferencing solutions. And another one would be uh, devices that would create extra bandwidth for operators and customers so that... By spending less money on communications, you could transfer more data and voice through the same channel, so on and so forth. So what I'm talking about, it still looks like a good
1: idea. I, I mean, you're, you're telling me this right now, and I'm like, in the world I live now, that is full of virtual assistants, <coughs> call centers from the Philippines, and somebody just pitched me a call center in Venezuela a week ago, right? Like, these call centers and these, like, the ability to leverage... Uh, Other countries' labor forces for an educated support system for your own company right now in the U.S. is exploding. Content's exploding, right? Like the need for bandwidth, the need for this data to travel has completely tipped. So you're telling me this and I'm like, how did this fail? Right? Like it so, it sounds like a total home run. It, and this it, was five it, years ago, right? So you guys were right at the beginning, right a, at the cusp of like Facebook becoming a total digital platform with all this bandwidth and all this stuff and all these virtual assistants coming it online. It failed. And I, when I when I say this, like I, I, I kinda want to hit myself in the head.
0: It failed because of the one thing that I didn't do. I didn't do proper financial due diligence. mm
2: mm-hmm.
0: Because this fellow that I teamed up with, I'd known for 15, 20 years. He had been a minority partner in, in the talent venture and trusted the guy. At the end of the day, it's not that he did anything dishonest, but I didn't go to Argentina. I didn't check that he did not have... An, I mean, the company did not have everything in place to make sure that we could import to Argentina, which was one of our biggest market, with using converting the right amount of dollars. So we had financial issues that I didn't foresee. Uh, I, 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 I should have looked not only at the amount of inventory but also the age of the inventory which I didn't do. And all of this, I trusted because this fellow, he actually—I only bought like sixty percent of the company yeah. with my partners. He retained; he was one hundred percent retained forty percent, and he had—he had, he sold to me a story that, well, you know, I ran out of cash. If we inject a little bit of cash here, we're gonna do really well. And I did a technology audit on it, which was fine. I didn't do what, I, what was my specialty, which is a financial audit, to make sure that we we had raised enough money and enough funding to take the company to where they needed to go. So what it ended up happening is that when we closed on the deal and I go in there and find out and I think that we're just gonna take off selling, we ended up for the first year and a half virtually writing off inventory and as you rolled it off you had to you you have to sell it sell it for whatever liquidate you know just liquidate so we ended up in a liquidation mode so by the time the first year and a half rolled along we had the the funding that we had that we had that we had brought to bear on the company that we had raised for the company was nearly not enough
1: the the funding was originally to purchase inventory thinking that you were going to sell what you had in stock. The funding was to purchase
0: was 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 to spend mm-hmm. in people and growth and buying other companies. On offense. But on offense, not on defense. And it was spent on defense. Uh, totally on def- totally on defense. And and in a way, I said, how in the world did I do this? And and it and, and I guess the the lesson that the lesson that, that taught me was that there are no friends in business. You got to do your job. You got to do your due diligence. If you're an investor, you got to go in there and and, and do what it takes to make sure that you look under every stone and that you, uh, at the end of the day, are comfortable with the balance sheet that you're getting. And companies don't fail because of sometimes of lack of sales that sometimes can be can be can, can be remedied in future cash can failed for, for liquid because of lack of liquidity mm-hmm. and and at one point in time your lack of the liquidity is going to prevent you from investing in growth and when then you don't grow somebody else is going to take over your market and that's exactly what happened to comlogic so when at the end of 3 years of doing this i i decided that it was better Someone
1: took over the market because you didn't grow fast enough. Well, no, the market
0: changed. I mean, I, I can't blame the lack of the deal, it's just the market changed. And what happened in, in, in the convergence world was that the cloud took over. Mm.
1: And when the cloud takes over, two things. Because you're betting on server infrastructure? I'm sorry, like you're betting on server infrastructure? No, I had actually. I never thought that on-premise
0: was going away, and it hasn't gone away. On-premise equipment to create private clouds. Mm-hmm. When I'm talking the cloud, I'm talking about the public cloud. Okay. Okay. There.
1: AWS.
0: Uh, yes. Uh, uh, okay. Amazon. Uh, AWS. Yeah. Exactly. Ex- yeah. Amazon. Got it. Uh, Just making sure IBM, yeah, yeah. Whatever, uh, Apple, that IBM, whatever Microsoft, Microsoft—that's the public cloud. Now, companies, large companies, uh, you know, big banks and whatever, will have their own private clouds, and and they will invest in having their own controls and their own security in the clouds that they built. But we're talking about 2011. Or 2012 to 2015 when the hold in the, in the area of the in, in the technology world the discussion about the cloud was happening and was happening in force I remember. and the companies that would have invested in private in on-premise equipment kind of held back and said where am I going here mm. and I spent a couple years uh Thinking about what they were going to do in the meantime, they would buy off the public cloud to test it, and see if that was a good deal. Because if if they could go 100 percent to the public cloud, then they could get rid of the whole IT department. Okay, and that was that. That, that is a big deal. That that is like a another Huge. revolution
1: yeah.
0: in, in 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 business. It it ended up not that way, but it created two or three years where. Our only customers at the end ended up being the operators in Latin America, which, what by the way, added to our financial issues. Yeah, so because these people pay 120, 150 days. And, you know, it's, it's, you have to have a lot of capital, and a lot of equity, and a lot of liquidity to be able to support a big customer like that. And we we had
2: already spent our, our working capital funding in
1: defense, as you call it. So it sounds like you had a... The lack of funding combined with getting... Stu- Not lack of funding, the the misjudgment. The misjudgment of funding needed combined with an inflection point. Our inability, in our
0: inability to read the balance sheet correctly and project the hole that was there driven by bad receivables and old inventory. Let us to a liquidation program that we had not forecasted, which took away all of the working capital that we had injected to grow. And when that ended and we're ready to go again, then this whole cloud issue came up and on-premise sales disappeared for six, seven, eight months. They, they, they wouldn't take, and it was taken over. So we, we had to go out there and partner with the operators and every time we partnered with an operator, it took him four months to decide and another four months to pay. And,
1: and more cash spent for and you more, to go support. At the end, we weren't willing to put Got up it. more cash. Okay, so it, was the, so it was the misjudged, the misjudged cash cycle that was then combined with reaching this inflection point that happened after you had to recover from the misjudged cash but it,
0: it, it happened very quickly yeah. I mean in the first year and a half yeah. our initial funding disappeared mm-hmm. then we funded it again we gave it another chance uh-huh. and that disappeared the first one disappeared because of balance sheet issues and the other one disappeared and the next one disappeared because the mar- the, the market didn't grow during that year yeah. so we bet it all in one year one year and a half and at the end nobody was willing to put up money to save the company and Awesome. That teaches you a lesson, you know. It's sometimes it's better to cut your losses and go. And and then, I thought that that was the end for me. That I wasn't going to do it anymore. I wasn't not going to be in business anymore. That I had lost my touch. And then the Goico Grill project came came up and and gave me the chance to to look at a company that was different than any other company had ever. I had ever looked at. It was a very successful small company. Every restaurant out of the six or seven that they had was making money. What the founder didn't have is a way of growing that quicker than a couple stores a year, because it was funding growth strictly out of profits generated by the stores that were already open.
1: So what I brought to that I, which is super attractive to you when you see that, right? Yeah. Well, I mean,
0: it's funny because the first time that I interviewed my nephew as to I wasn't, I really was not interested in a project in a hamburger chain in Spain, and he came up and he, he showed me the numbers and I couldn't believe them, and I talked to his banker and I confirmed every single number this time. I mean, I wasn't going to fall into the same trap again, so. I actually told him you don't need me you you can grow this you can probably open up for every two stores that you have open one year you're gonna open up another one next year out of the out of your own cash flow and in that way you will have in five years maybe fifteen twenty stores
1: mm-hmm. and uh Fifteen twenty 20 more stores? No, no, fifteen twenty total stores. Because when he came to, he had how many? Seven. Had seven. Yeah, he had seven. Okay. He had seven.
0: Six or seven, I don't remember well, but six or seven. And he had three franchises that I didn't, I didn't like that business. I mean, first of all, if you have a good restaurant business, which is throwing off 25, 27% EBDA and cash flow, you don't really want to hand that over to somebody else. You want to find a way to do it yourself, because mm-hmm. uh, because that somebody else is going to want the best locations and it's going to run it his way. And at the end, when I looked at the numbers for the franchises and, them, and the restaurants, the franchises were selling eighty percent of what the uh, of what the company-owned stores were. So obviously, that wasn't the business. Yeah. And, Taking four or five percent or six percent of somebody's revenue is not as attractive as making twenty-five percent on sales and more than a hundred percent on equity. Yeah, from your existing
1: stores. Yeah. So, so you look at the banker. You tell you you no. you, you talk to the banker. No, you no, you tell him begin. don't need you don't need me. No, and I thought oh, yeah, that's right. I said, so what I can work. do for you, and this was the, this is
0: the, 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 I guess, the secret behind our marriage, I can help you grow this very quickly, and I can help you grow this to maybe 100 stores in five years, and I think we can sell this for 80 million, 80 million euros, I remember as that opposed remember. to you selling it for 15 million, million euros. So I think that the kind of knowledge that I bring to your team and to the board of directors is going to exponentially grow the company and it's going to create a lot of value for you Uh, and and you can do that with somebody else but I've been here and I've done this and I've done that in Spain. So, you know what? Uh, If you're interested, I'll give you two months free and in September we can shake hands. And that's what we did. And when we finished our banking meetings in September, and we're about to raise eight, nine million euros to build 17 stores. And this happened in 2016. Mm-hmm. And so in September 2016, we actually met with the banks, raised enough money to be able to build 17 stores in 2018. So you, we raised, all, you raised debt from banks. I'm sorry? Oh, you raised debt from banks. Yes. Okay. Not a single penny equity we looked at everything Mm -hmm. so once again I learned my lesson so we interviewed with investment bankers we interviewed with private equity we interviewed with regular banks and we decided that regular banks at one and one and a half percent five year loans were too good to pass up so that's what we did and instead of borrowing it all at once we would borrow it store, store by store Store by store, but if we had three stores at once, we barrel three stores at the same time, and that's how come we're able to open the 17 stores in, the, in during the next year. Okay. Now, the kind of noise that that created in the market, I, I I didn't expect. I mean, all of a sudden, Andoni was the the king. Of social media in, 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 the, uh, in the restaurant business in, 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 in Spain, and Go, Go Grillo was the most popular brand. And we had a super marketing scheme that was that was driven by by my niece Daniela, who who had studied that in college and then just applied that for the first time. But it was extremely successful and created during the first. In 2016 through 2018, we went from something like 20,000 followers to more than 200,000 followers, mm-hmm. and you couldn't you couldn't explain the success to the to, to, to anybody because we were we we actually actually had to make a reservation to go to a hamburger store, and and if you didn't make a reservation, you didn't get in, especially in Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Mm-hmm. So, so it became like a like a thing in, in in for the for the younger set in Spain to go and have this new Venezuelan burger, if you want to call it, and it exploded. So, by October of two thousand and 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 seventeen, we had investors knocking on our door. Trying to buy pieces of, of it, or investing in it, or whatever, which we said no until this investment banking house called Arcano, mm-hmm. which is run by very sharp young people. They had a they they had just made a big sale, in, in one of these restaurant chains in Madrid, sold like forty percent of it for seventy million euros for restaurants, but they were luxury restaurants, and it, and. It's much more difficult to sell a chain of luxury restaurants that none of which look like each other. So you're actually believing that this fellow here that is running that chain can actually do it again and again and again, creating new concepts as he goes along. Mm -hmm. That's much more difficult than selling, now we have 25 going on 50. Mm -hmm. Hamburger, identical, identical the restaurants were not identical you don't do that in space because you don't you don't build out Mm -hmm. you don't build out your own you build out your own restaurant but you don't create it from zero you actually buy somebody out and pay him to get out like a key money yeah. and then you come in and you do what you can to give it the same look and feel and marketing yeah. and marketing style yeah, and, yeah. Then, and then you go on and uh, you go on and so forth. But we have managed to do that and everybody knew that you were in a Goico Grill when you were in
1: a Goico Grill. You, you you created the Starbucks effect, right? Like I can go to a Starbucks in Rio de Janeiro. And and did. Well, that was crazy. What, I, what I did is yeah, yeah, yeah. what I did
0: and, and the management team there yeah. is we created a, a, a financial Scheme, if you want to call it, or a financial method, that whenever we saw a location that we liked, even if there were two at a time, we had enough money to go out and immediately buy that location
1: and immediately start the build out mm-hmm. and open up in forty-five days. So I want to dive. I want to dive really deep into. <coughs> I want to dive really deep into Coico, but I don't want to do that right now. I want to, I, I think this is, this conversation right now is a nice little kind of like teaser, like if we're gonna look at this as a series, I think this is a nice teaser conversation. Here's where I ended up. At, this is where we ended this up? This is the last years of my life. This is the last, well, the last years for now, right? The, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. The <laughs> last year through now. Okay, and that being said, I also wanna say, you went from a plan to sell Goico for 80 million euros in five years. And what happened. Well what happened so, after that we give me the We actually hired these these people from Arcano. Well, and we gave them a, I, I wanna go deep into the Arcano story. I want right now, give me the headline. What was the headline? Instead of five five years eighty million euro exit It was two years hundred and fifty million euros. Two years hundred and fifty million euros. <laughs> that, that's that's what happened. Okay, cool. So that's that's what we're gonna get into in in a future in a future conversation. If it's okay with you, I like the idea that we started off with the failure point and what we can learn from that. Right. So, so so I think that's very important, Pablo. I think that
0: people look at failures and they forever regret them. I can't say that I didn't feel bad after failing for the first time and losing, let's say, a significant amount of sure. money for, for me. Uh, and and ending up feeling that I had lost my touch to turn around businesses and especially that I had completely missed the real problems within the company that failed. I, I, I had a hard time forgiving myself for that. But at the end of the day, I learned that no matter how experienced you are, you always have to go through your whole methodology. If you're going to purchase a company, if you're in the business of being an entrepreneur and you're going to purchase companies together with partners and you're the lead guy, then you have to make sure that you have a tickler list that you go through so that you convince yourself that this is the right thing for you to do. And it is as much about the balance sheet as it is about the PNL. So, with that in mind, with that in mind, when I took on Goico, I make sure that my my role in Goico was very was a very, I guess it it, it was. Deep inside the the organization, and making sure there was always enough funding, and making looking at what ha- was happening, and making sure that we weren't making mistakes, that that avoiding mistakes, and creating funding, were the two things that I thought were more important for a company to grow very quickly without getting indigestion. So the failure actually helped me to build another. Layer of knowledge in, in in my professional career, so that if I ever have a chance to, you know, do it again, and if somebody comes up to me, I'm not looking for it, but another opportunity, I don't like it. I think I now have a better method of going forward uh, to avoid
1: failure. I like it. Did am I right in in the concept of? within the Come Logic failure within the com Logic fav- failure was wrapped up a little bit of for Come Logic you went out and raised capital with your own friend group, right? I, I raised capital with friends and family, and, yes. And I would imagine that's the first time you've ever lost money for yes. friends and family. Yes. Including my own. Including your own, obviously. Including, including your, your own, own, obviously, but I does it feel worse when you lost your own, when you were in that mode of losing capital, was it scarier, the idea of losing for other people or losing for yourself or was it all in the same pot? How did oh, that affect was yourself? Oh, you know, it I felt very bad for them.
2: Yeah.
1: I mean, they had trusted me and, and,
0: and I, I thought that this was going to be, I guess, the biggest problem I had is that when I looked at the offering that ad, i thought it was perfect for the market which is the latin american market and for the area of business that it was in which is high technology and internet uh, internet inter- interaction between companies and operators that this is this is the next wave mm-hmm. and i missed them both <laughs>
1: yeah it, uh... it also coincided with birth sickness yeah it's true and, and his passing yes that made it even worse did that do you think that clouded your decision making or or is it just a on the on a making things worse it affected, no no it what it way. did what it did is is that it increased the pain it increased the pain I,
0: I did, it didn't I don't think it clouded my decision making because I, in, in a way had come logic being very successful I would have not paid as much attention to it. And I would have paid more attention to grief. Because yeah. as you know, there was not much that we could do about Bert, And whatever had to be done was done. But increasing family grief, increasing my suffering would not have helped me that much. So that in a way, the concern and worry that I had about not losing income logic as a business kind of took my mind away from that inevitable grief that was that that, that, that we're gonna lose Bert. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna say that it helped, but it didn't cloud I got you. It didn't cloud my judgment and in a way it took my mind off something that that's not grief. I mean, you know, what you, you, you lose a company, if you do your best, Not you know four years from from the bankruptcy filing, I can say that I, 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 I after I learned my, after I learned of, of the mistakes that we had made, we hit it with everything we had. I put in as much money and my own personal guarantee on it. I gave it the old college try. So I'm not today. I'm 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 not sorry. I, I, I'm not. Uh, I'm not thinking about that in a in, in a way that that, that it hurts me. Yeah. And I still grieve about Bert, of course. You know, they're two different, completely different things. Mm -hmm. So no, I didn't. But but it was hard. I think 2015 was the worst year of my life. In the sense that's that early in in January, three we lose Bert. Mm -hmm. He passes away, and in December. We declare bankruptcy income logic. And that, that whole year, yeah. it was grief and bankruptcy. Come Book, on.
1: Bookends with loss. Huh? Bookends. It got wow. With no laws. kidding.
0: No kidding. That, 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 now that, that it, 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 took a
1: lot out of me. Dad, I mean, I remember, I remember seeing you. I was very depressed. You were depressed. I was very uh, depressed. Dad, I, I mean, I don't know if I've ever told you this. I've told Andoni this, right? But I, I saw you and I'm like, I'm losing my dad. Like I thought you were piso like I mean not not that you've given up or anything like that, but I, I saw I saw the depression and your lack of ambition for things. And until until the Goiko thing happened again, that completely re-energized you and reinvigorated you. And I've told Antonio this too. I, that I'll be forever
0: grateful to him. Not for the. I mean, of course, I'm very grateful for the economic uh, amazing success, financial windfall, and, and, and amazing <laughs> financial windfall. But, yeah. but more the fact that that he gave me he gave me back my personality. Hundred uh, percent. He gave me back now. my confidence. <laughs> yeah. I mean go, go real was like a like a, a rebirth in business 100%, 100%. 100%. Together with the fact that it happened with family that I love so much, amazing people. How could how could, I, how could it be get any better than that? I'm going from the worst year of my life to the best three years of my of of of, of 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 my
1: current professional life. Yeah. So Good. I'm glad. I'm glad we got that down because I completely, I completely agree, and I'm and I'm, I'm glad you see it that way. And I think it's it's important to acknowledge what this what this whole thing has played in, in just your your health and your longevity, man. Like I like I, I. There's no doubt in my mind that this added years to your life, which is something that I am forever grateful for. Right. So that being said, long long career as a businessman, entrepreneur. A couple of the a couple of the things we're going to talk about. Right, You were born in Cuba. I think, I, think the, I think the Cuban immigrant story is being lost as your generation starts to... I think we should talk about it in our next chapter. For sure. Let's, let's go chronologically
0: in our yeah. next chapter. I think what we've done here is we have created like a state of the union. Mm-hmm. Here's where I am. You know, we, I think we've taken a very detailed look at the last four years of my life. And now, if you're really interested, I think we have to go back to when I was in the cathedral school in Cuba, Mm -hmm. the first 15 years of my life that that we, I spent with my family uh, as a middle class, Family in, in in Havana, a, mi- a middle class family
1: and... with a super high quality of life, living in a in a beautiful mountainous island, going to the Havana Beach Club, and no I didn't know the Havana I, Beach Club. No, that, that doesn't know. exist. Th- this is what I don't know, right? No, like, no, I don't, like don't in cuba about about Okay, I'll tell you all about it. I'm yeah. with
0: you the schools that I went to, my friends, yeah. and then how that all of a sudden
1: stopped. Almost overnight. Transi-
0: overnight. We transitioned to the U.S.
1: At, at 15 years old, you have to leave everything you know and start completely from zero. From one day to the other. From one day to another, other. One day to the other. Due to a political situation that is not at all in your own control. Under uh, anybody's control. I mean, uh, who sure. knows? Sure, and, and then, and then, And then you, know, you start over. As a, as a completely foreigner refugee in a, in a foreign land yes uh, then then we go into we go into your years as going to university in the United States high school and high school and 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 and, Miami the Beach university. and mm-hmm. then my life in Venezuela from from college where you are the one Cuban guy in your in your university no not true no a lot of no Cuban I have stories. to tell you that story too okay. but I mean it, that
0: we'll get to it uh, pe- I I was very lucky because my mom was a visionary and when I was four years old somehow or other I ended up going to kindergarten in a school that only spoke English. Mm -hmm. So I don't remember what it is not speaking English. Day one when I went to school I went to school in English a hundred percent one hour of Spanish a day. And throughout my elementary school and high school career in Cuba, that's all we did, we went to American schools. So that luck would have it that we came to the US, I very seamlessly fit into the society of the typical kid that goes to public school, makes friends, I mean, all the other Cuban kids were busy learning a language and I was busy just going to school. I want to dive into that for sure because I, I feel that's something that something that requires a little bit of discussion. Yeah, I want to. I want to talk. And about what it. happened? How did, How in the world did I get yeah. to college and, I, and 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 never paid for it? That, that, that's
1: a cool story too. That's a cool story. I think it's cool. I, th- I think it's cool too, right? I and I, and cool. I definitely want to get into that because I' not the same, right? But I remember life before I spoke English, <laughs> and, and I, you know, my first one of my first memories is walking into preschool in St. Thomas, not knowing English. It, and I have grown up completely American, right? Completely Americanized. Yet there is still there is still a delineation between me completely... No, when I say through, I don't remember, well, it's not speaking English.
0: Yeah. It's because I'm 74 years old. So I don't remember yeah. the first four years of my life. Sure. But I do remember kindergarten. Yeah, yeah, I got you. I got and, you. And, 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 and going there, I'm beginning. Yeah. I'm, I'm beginning my formal t- education yeah. in the Cathedral School of Havana.
1: So then you go University of You go Stetson University of Florida You graduate You move to Venezuela To work for IBM Yes We're gonna get into that That is the world when You were A handful of people In the world at that point That knew that computers Were more than a calculator That what? That were, computers were more Than a calculator yeah, yeah. At that point you, you you got there at the advent Of personal computing At the inflection point At the inflection point Not personal computing
0: Actually Accounting, personal computing did not exist until right. 1977. We're going to get to that too, right? Yeah. yeah. The 1977. Okay. So computing as a business system. Computing for business. But not personal. And not accounting machines. Mm-hmm. Computers. Okay. Because accounting machines were programmed by putting cables together. Uh-huh. These things that I dealt with as software... Uh. the It's the beginning of the software era. Okay. I mean, who would know? At that time, software was given away, and the computer was very expensive. Mm
1: hey, the computer is very inexpensive mm-hmm. and software is what actually makes the business. So but we'll you, talk about that. So, we'll talk. so you're there at the birthplace of that. From there, you join a very powerful international conglomerate family, right? Or well, a family that owns businesses worldwide at the time? No. Or they were expanding worldwide? No, no. When you they, were,
0: they were not... They, 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 they owned three businesses in Venezuela. Okay. But this fellow... Uh, Gustavo Cisneros and Ricardo they had the vision that they were going to buy 50 companies in Venezuela and then after that four years after that they said Venezuela's too small let's go to the US and buy companies and then let's go to Spain so these guys were very very aggressive entrepreneurs Yeah. And I think they invented
1: the leverage buyout method. I, I've heard so, that um, story, and I want to get into that. The leverage buyout, the, corporate takeover of companies, right? No no no, 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 it's
0: not. You can take over companies by buying them out.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But leverage buyout is doing that with 20% capital and 80% debt. 20% capital. and Okay, so leverage. So are actually so betting that this company is going to grow enough from what it has to, to pay for its debt. Added. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Okay. And, and, and that's something that happened in the 80s all over the world. Yeah. But we started in Venezuela in the 70s. There was a movie Barbarians at the Gate. Exactly. That was that. that. Yes, exactly. But that. you guys were doing this in Venezuela. In Venezuela no, no. A that couple was, of Venezuelans. On, 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 on. We, yeah, bought about thirty, forty companies. Thirty, 40, forty companies, and you kind of spearhead. I don't know if you spearheaded, but you were instrumental. In all I of was those part models. of the group. You're part of that group. I was, I was the guy that did the financial models. Yeah, there you go. There you go. So then that brought you to Miami. Well, brought you to San Francisco first, where, and I want to talk. This is a whole other thing, right? Like the advent of personal computing. You told me some story about how you were talking to the guy that had the thing that he was invented, the rival to Compact. Yes, no, no. He,
0: he. This is the guy that invented. It was called. Osborne, he invented the 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 uh, the the desktop. Uh-huh. He invented the, that 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 was called portable computer. Portable computer. Portable computer it was portable Why? because it was like a long thing like that and it had a little handle.
1: Yeah.
0: And it had uh, an operating system that doesn't even exist today. Uh-huh. And, and this was there was a big deal because I met the guy that actually created the first one and there's and there's a funny story about this
1: yeah, guy because he story.
0: ended up being bankrupt
1: yeah amazing yeah from there we're in Miami we get moved you get moved to Spain to buy a no no I was sent
0: the group that I was working for mm-hmm. after IBM the Cisneros after buying after creating one of the largest groups in Venezuela by actually buying companies on an accelerated basis, all right? Uh, in 1981, they decided that they want to do the same thing in the U.S. Mm-hmm. So one of the brothers comes, comes here to do that and he, and he starts buying companies without a method. So all of a sudden he decides that he doesn't want to do that anymore. And he, he, he had in mind to bring me to the U.S. I was the perfect candidate. I spoke English. I was educated here. Yeah. I, I was comfortable in Miami. Yeah. So but he didn't say that. He said, Help me. At that time I was running the biggest company, which was the supermarket. The supermarket Company. Uh, that's a five hundred million dollar company with a hundred and ten supermarkets, uh sure. restaurants, etc. We'll get into that. Whatever, maybe. we'll get into that. So he sends me to San Francisco to help him out in a company that he had bought that he wasn't sure whether he's gonna make it or not. So is this we, we go, no, no. This is called this, this was uh it doesn't matter. online computers. It was it was a online <laughs> a, a company that franchise computer stores. Okay. And this is 1982. Uh-huh. And we, you were very little. Yeah. We got sent to San Francisco to help run this company. Uh-huh. And he says come back at the end of the summer, but help me put this together. Spend a couple of months in San Francisco, see if you can help, because I think I made a mistake here. This company is not, you know, it needs to grow. It has, no, it has no business. So I go to San Francisco, and at the end of that, let's say, when I was, you guys were going back to school. Uh-huh. So so in late August, I tell my boss, Mr. Cisneros, hey, I'm ready to go back, so no, you're not coming back. So you're staying in Miami because we're creating a group there. You're going to lead it. And I, I, I want you to build or help me build
1: a significant group by real companies over the next years. So that's so the that, inflection that, point where you went from like guy on the team to lead a new vision, a new thing. Well, I first went
0: from guy on the team to managing. Mm-hmm. And from, from managing to international management, where instead of management, one company, my my uh, mandate was to look for acquisitions, cool. make the acquisitions, and then set up management teams awesome. to run it. Okay. That's, what, that's what I did. And that's when we landed in Miami? That, that's when we landed in Miami, that was my mandate. That was the mandate. And through From 1982, end of 1982, through end of 1984, that's what, that's what I did. Okay. And then in 1984, these guys bought another problem in Spain, a very large company, Library especiales. And how I got sent there was because they first sent a brother-in-law who resigned. So all of a sudden, I got sent from the U.S. to Spain to run this new acquisition who was supposed to be their new baby. So in a way, I became... For this family I became like the Marine Corps like whenever there was a problem I would go there try to solve it you're the the, cleaner no the problem was to create a group or the problem was to manage a a, a company that that, that was that needed to be turned around that's that's what I got to do and that's that's what I learned and when I became an entrepreneur I looked for troubled companies that I could buy cheap and turn around I, that, 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 that's, that was my that, that, that was my at that time that's what, what my resume said that I could do and that's what I like to do at the end of the day
1: so to, so to bring us back up to day, so we go to Spain there they, they buy this large company at some point in that journey you decide you're not they, they sell you decide you're not going back with them no, you're going to go off on your own I was going to go I was going to go back with them the problem is that that, that was like a huge
0: success I mean, we bought a company for like a million dollars, sold it for 200 and change. And I thought I wasn't treated right on the exit by my boss and my friends. So at that time I didn't have any, you know, okay. So I I was resigned to stay, you know, to come back to whatever whatever my next job with them was gonna be. Mm -hmm. But the chairman of the company that bought us out in Spain made me an offer that I couldn't refuse. Mm -hmm. And when he made me an offer, I made sure that at the end of that offer, I had enough funding of my own to go out on my own. Mm -hmm. At least to give it a try. Mm -hmm. So it was a great, so I stuck around for a couple of years, not working for my previous bosses, Mm -hmm. working for this new guy, who at the end rewarded me, and I came back to Miami, with what I thought was enough money of my own to make sure that I could be independent. And it turned out to be that way. I mean, not the way I thought it would be, but at the end, it did. I never worked for anybody else in my life.
1: I worked for myself. At what age was this? Huh? At what age? This was, I was 44. 44. Yeah. You are now, from here on out, the baker and maker of your pie. This was 1989. Mm-hmm. I was 44. Okay. So 44, you are no longer an employee. <laughs> You're no longer an employee at 44. You spend some time analyzing some deals. You buy a water company. You make a medium exit out of that water company. Yeah. Then I then
0: spend a couple.
1: Of, then I spend a couple of
0: years uh, advising mm-hmm. uh, an Ecuadorian group in in their That's businesses. Right. Yeah, yeah guys. a couple yeah, of years. I, those guys. I, I learned banking there, there. That's right. and investment. And and then after that.
1: Uh, I got into Tallard. I spent 16, well, uh, 17 years in Tallard. And you bought, did you buy into Tallard like no. right before September 11th or something like that? Yes, I did. Uh, but I didn't buy into Tallard at the beginning.
0: Correct. Tallard was a basket case when I first got it. Uh, it was a company that had no management. Exclusive dealer for Apple in in several countries of Latin America at the time what happened wasn't doing well. Owned by this very rich Swedish fellow who had no management experience. Mm -hmm. So my deal with him was that I would go work with him with a contract of five years with an option to buy Mm. up to 40% of the company at a certain value and I exercised so I spent the first five years building it turning the company around uh, bringing in more brands creating this value added mm-hmm. distribution kind of theory. like a
1: leverage buyout light they bring yeah. you in, so in based on the value that it was you're betting on the value you're going to make it into and then buying it so into in, the, value so that in the
0: year 2000 the year 2000
1: I exercised
0: my option to buy I brought in a couple of partners mm-hmm. and we started going at it okay and, and then September 11 happened,
1: yeah.
0: but at the same time, IBM came aboard and asked me to do that. Uh-huh. I mean, interesting. I,
1: yeah, I had
0: created, a, I had created a, a reputation for being the brand while being a distributor, uh-huh. which is something nobody else had done. Okay. Okay. And instead of putting the product on the shelf and giving taking inventory and giving credit, I would actually do training and marketing. Mm-hmm. And that training and marketing became more and more important to the brands that I represented because they wanted to fire some people. Yeah. So what they did is they would they would offload more sure. margin to me, sure. and it was a perfect world because I had more margin, I had tripled the margin of the PC guys, mm-hmm. and my brands did not they didn't spend anything because if they, they would pay me out of, out of
1: margin, it was a variable expense for them. Got it, got it, got it. It was incredible. So then, Tallard, you buy into it. You sell a few, you know, I, I guess you no, were I, there for I five grow. years. You grow.
0: I grow it. I grow it both in brands and in geographies. Uh-huh.
1: You sell to Itao like
0: seven years later? I sold them no, more than that. I sold them in, in 2011
1: years later. Okay, so 11 years later, you sell to them. Then, like, two years later, Itao resells again? Yes. You exit, now you think you're, you know, you exit with a no, nice... No, I spent another six months. Okay. Yeah. No, 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 no. no. That's not how it happened.
0: Four years later, Okay. Itao uh, exits. Okay. So, I sell in 2006, but I had an earnout through 2008. Okay. So I managed the company through 2008. Mm-hmm. And at that time, I become vice chairman of the board, and I, I started working part-time. Sure. Okay, but very well-paid. Yeah. Okay, because I still was kind of like the brains of the thing. I just wasn't there every day. Yeah. So I, I started traveling more, enjoying my time. Mm-hmm. So in
2: 2010,
0: huh, we sold to Avnet. Okay. And that's when I got involved in Income Logic in 2011. And I spent like two years that and then finally in two thousand and thirteen I bought into it. So what I really once again going back to that failure, how can I spend two years there and not notice that there was really, really something really wrong there. Sure. That that that, that really comes back to heart me every time. Yeah. So come logic overconfidence is that's 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 what you learn from those experiences. You cannot be you have to you look at every deal as if it was your enemy. Uh And you have to, first of all, get rid of all the reasons why not to do it. Once you're done with that, then you can talk yourself into doing it.
1: Okay. I'm excited, Pop. Like, I love this, I love this little recap that we just did. I think it has a lot of branches to, 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 So why don't you do something? Why
0: don't you look at this
1: again and then now? Yeah. For sure. create, create an agenda
0: of which pieces of my life you'd like to go over, and we'll do them one at a time.
1: So what'd you think? Did you enjoy that as much as I did? Doubt it. I thought it was really interesting that even the guy that I look up the most to can still make the typical mistake of overconfidence in business and not do his homework and what he knew he had to do because he got overly excited about something. I think it's really interesting to think that even if they had it all right, this combination of technology transforming at a certain moment and they just missed this window and just a little bit less funding and not understanding the whole cash flow can really derail what looked like a home run of a business. And I obviously think that my dad's career arc is... Really, really interesting. So, like I said, I'm going to be making this into a nine-part series. I want to turn this into a book. I really want to hear from you specifically on this episode. If you liked it, what the subjects in his career arc are the ones that you'd like to most first dive in on, right? Because we are going to do it. We don't have to do it in chronological order, but we can. And then after this episode, I'm going to... Post what is normally our conversation, which is my dad kind of telling me how to do stuff that I was already doing and me putting out my vision for it. You'll get to see that outtake. Um, but I'm also going to link him on LinkedIn on the show notes, so you can reach out to him. I encourage you to tell him what he thinks. I, I see my dad as like uh, Poppy on the Levitard show, who's the crazy old Cuban guy about sports. I think we can make my dad the crazy old Cuban guy about business, which I think would be really fun and good for the world to see. So stay Stick around for the outtakes. I hope to hear from you on this one. And uh, I'll let the Stillsville take it away with the rest of Yogi. Enjoy. already have the agenda we just kind of like no no we need to look at it again
0: and say okay now let's do this in this order
1: okay prioritize
0: what we're going to do now
1: I would like to release this within my podcast little by little in episodes as its own series inside of my podcast and I think this is a great episode one and then we go into the chronology of your life in chronological order. And, no problem. And people can follow along.
0: You, I'll do whatever you say. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And I, I
0: think I think this hour I, that we spent is an hour and five minutes. Perfect, exactly. Uh, I think this hour that we spent gives us the basis. Yep. It has enough content there. For sure. That you can show. But at the same time, I think it should show you where you're going to go from here and what we should do, I think, is just and then pick out of this overview, pick out special segments. and, Okay, let's go deep
1: into this. Uh-huh. Uh, choose the ones you want to go deep into. I love it. And, I love it. I love it. And, and we'll we'll do that. I think the I think the Cuban immigrant story is something a that I want to get down on paper before everybody before everybody just falls in love with Fidel Castro forever. Yeah. Um, it's personally important to me and I think it's very parallel to what's happening in Venezuela well, and what's happening around the world with it, with with, with uh, strongmen governments taking over and, and, and the externalities of that. I think your assimilation into American culture is a very human story that I think is very interesting to me personally. I don't care if anybody else hears it. I think the… Your growth as a as an executive is valuable to everybody that has a career. I think the story of everything you engineered in the Cisneros and the birthplace of leverage buyout and, and international expansion is a, is a look into a whole other world that has a million parallels to exactly what's going on right now and. Also, it's a it's a look back in time of how how it was from then to now, and the, the the lessons you can learn that are universal versus regardless of what technology has changed. I think the your entrepreneur, you know, the, the Spain thing is a whole another story that I think is very very interesting. You 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 were dealing with very famous people. We may at be that able point. to
0: do Spain in two chapters.
1: Yeah, I think Spain. Spain. In other words,
0: one chapter in Spain, in, like in two different. Yeah
1: eras yeah Sp- I mean Spain has so much star power right? like the experiences we had in Spain I still look back at and I'm I like I think my biggest success was in Spain my biggest biggest well I, especially since Goico was in Spain also right like, what? you think that era was your biggest success or you think this Goico thing plus the, like, no no
0: no Galerías
1: and, and Goico yeah, and 100,
0: Goico 100% in, if I look at my professional career those were Two home runs. Absolutely. One for me
1: and the other one for somebody else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, I mean one to two hundred million is epic. Um, correct. Then the entrepreneurial transition I think has a lot of tales of entrepreneurship that, that we can definitely get into. Tallard is a whole another thing of, of building up building up a, a company that was I completely unstructured. is r- within
0: the entrepreneurial world.
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay. Shall we leave it at that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean I'm I'm just I'm just kinda recapping, oh, right? Yes, gotta... Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're good uh, did, did
2: this make you more excited for what we're gonna do like, yeah, it's, yeah, it's cool it is, right it's cool okay, okay let's cool. go okay nice bye bye